are finishing out a series on one of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Jonah. That's right, John Keyes. Um, it is, I think, very relevant. Um, the messages really just seem to be um, not just in the news, but in, in my life, uh, messages that I need to hear. It is classified, the book of Jonah, as one of the minor prophets, but it certainly has a major message for us. You remember that story opening in Jonah chapter 1. We were there a few weeks back, and the prophet receives the word of the Lord. Go to Nineveh and preach. And, and of course, Jonah heads in the opposite direction. The last thing he wanted to do was do ministry in Nineveh. He hated the Ninevites, and let's be honest, there were some pretty good reasons he did. They were not good people. They were violent, oppressive folks, and he did not want to go and preach there. He certainly did not want to see them be the recipients of God's compassion. So he gets on a ship headed to a city called Tarshish, okay? Tarshish is located in, or was located in what we would know as modern-day Spain. Nineveh was in what we would know as modern-day Iraq. So essentially, he, he heads the opposite direction, running away from the Lord. Now, God is doing a lot of things in the book of Jonah to get his attention. Um, one of the things God does is as he's fleeing from the Lord, God sends this great storm on the sea. And the ship on which Jonah is traveling is tossed about, nearly is torn apart by the waves and by the storm. And the problem is only resolved when Jonah convinces the pagan crew to throw him overboard. And after they do, the sea is as still as a sheet of glass. And these rough, salty pagan sailors fall on their knees and worship the awesomeness of Jonah's God, the awesomeness of the God of Israel, Yahweh. Jonah, of course, in the sea is swallowed by a great fish. That's the detail of the story that most people know about the book of Jonah, swallowed by a great fish. He will spend three days and three nights inside this dark, stinky, cramped um, Somewhere in there, the stomach or the intestines of this fish. There, he has run out of options. His only option, his last resort, is to cry out to God. In fact, the second chapter opens with Jonah saying, In my distress, I cried out to you. Now he is willing, not excited about it, not eager, but he is willing to go and preach in Nineveh. He vows to the Lord, if you spare my life, I will go to Nineveh and preach. And he fulfills his word. He goes to Nineveh, and over a period of 40 days, he preaches a message. It is a very short sermon, uh, not a difficult one for him to memorize, not something that he probably spent a lot of time on. In Hebrew, it is only five words. Essentially, it is turn or burn. That is his message to the city of Nineveh. God is going to destroy you. God is going to destroy you. Turn or burn. He is certainly hoping they, cho they, they choose the latter. He would like to see that place incinerated. 
Um, so last week, as he preaches these messages, we witnessed the power of the Word of God. Um, certainly the preacher was not so powerful, but the Word was, and that city is now swept up in citywide revival. From the richest to the poorest, the old and the young, even the king of Nineveh comes off the throne, covers himself in burlap, sits down in a pile of dust, and begs everyone to turn to the Lord, confess their sins, and repent. Citywide revival. And we saw this. <laughs> it's a funny thing about Jonah. You can say what you want about his attitude, all right? But he got results. I mean, his time on that ship with the pagan sailors, after he's done there, they are all worshiping God. His 40 days in Nineveh, after he's done in that wicked city, they are all in full repentance. And revival has broken out. The message there is not about Jonah. Not, wow, the Tony Robbins of the ancient world. What an amazing motivational speaker was the prophet Jonah. It's not about Jonah. The power was not in the man. The power was in the message. The power was in God who gave this message to Jonah. God is the one getting results. Jonah is merely an instrument, a tool in the hands of God. The story of Jonah reminds me of something I read about a distributory, a river down in Louisiana. It's a 137-mile-long river that apparently I mispronounced at first service Several Louisianans came up to me and shared this with me. I'll probably mispronounce it again at second service, but I'm going to try to do better. It is the Atchafalaya River. Anybody from Louisiana here? Atchafalaya River? Sound good? Okay. I was saying Atchafalaya. I don't know. Okay, I'm seeing some cringing. So Atchafalaya, Atchafalaya. It's close enough. Sounds like something you'd have with your with your blackened crawdad tails, you know, that and a side of atchafalaya and some dirty rice. Right, anyway, but it's real. It's a river, and it uh, meanders a long ways through Louisiana, eventually empties into the Gulf of Mexico. The interesting thing about this river, by the way, very important river um, in terms of income generation, industry and commerce revolve around it, tourism uh, uh, revolves around it, scenic byways as well. Um, but what's really interesting about this is while it's scenic and while it's productive, um, it is 100% dependent on a power outside of itself. It's just distributory. So all of the water in the Atchafalaya River comes from the Mississippi River. All right? It is the result of the overflow of this greater river. So when the Mississippi is high... The Atchafalaya River is high. When the Mississippi River is low, the Atchafalaya River is low. Um, so goes that river. It is completely dependent on the Mississippi. So the river has value. The river has beauty. Um, but any importance that it has is really dependent on the Mississippi River. Now, I'm thinking about that this week, and I'm thinking about the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah. Because when it's all said and done, the book of Jonah reminds us that we are bit players in the great drama of God. Um, he is greater, stronger than us. 
His heart is bigger than our hearts. And the truth is we are dependent on Him for any good thing that we have, for any good thing that we might provide or do, we are dependent on God. And when we lose connection to the Lord, we begin to dry up. We begin to empty out. Jonah's story certainly reminds us of this. We see, or at least we should see, a little bit of ourselves in the story of Jonah. So chapter 4. Chapter 4, the prophet has finished his preaching, his campaign there in the city of Nineveh. Um, He is hoping to see um, a dramatic explosion maybe. Um, He's expecting to see uh, destruction. He's expecting for God's judgment to be poured out on Nineveh. That doesn't seem to be happening, and he is getting a little irritated now as he has placed himself outside of the city. Let's go to chapter 4. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive. If what I predicted, destruction of Nineveh, if what I predicted doesn't happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out on the east side of the city, made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. Hopefully in his mind, something very bad. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. Soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. (laughs) The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Got to cross your arms on this part. Death is certainly better than living like this. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes! Jonah replied, even angry enough to die. (laughs) I love this guy. Then the Lord said, this isn't in the Hebrew, but I think it's probably, you can infer this. Let me get this straight. Okay. The Lord said, let me get this straight. You feel sorry about the plant. Though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly, it died quickly. That's what plants do, right? But Nineveh, has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? 
Now, what I want to do this morning is talk about, or, or really listen more than talk. Listen to what this says to us. So the first couple of bullet points this morning are about me and Jonah. Me and Jonah. Write this one down for me. Me and Jonah. Jonah and me. Jonah gladly accepted God's second chance, right? But was unwilling to offer it to anyone else. Gladly accepted the mulligan that God gave him, but was not interested in offering that same second chance to others. Jonah was disobedient to the Lord. Jonah ran away from the Lord. God said, go here. Jonah went there. Jonah was disobedient to the Lord. However, God chose to show grace and mercy to his servant and give him second chance after second chance. And Jonah was so grateful that he had not been left to slowly be digested in the bowels of that great fish. Grateful, relieved. But as we saw in the reading of Jonah chapter 4, he was not so much interested in showing that same grace to someone else. Right? Receive it, yes. Offer it, nah. He was glad to have his second chance, but he couldn't stand the thought of the Ninevites getting their second chance. Now, Jonah and me, what about us? Second bullet point here. God loves me and is eager to give me a mulligan. That's a second chance, all right? Eager to give me a mulligan, and he expects me to do the same for others. I think that deserves an amen. He expects me to do the same for others. Amen. Um, now, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, God's mercies have spilled into my life, have overflowed into my, my world, compassion and kindness and mercy from God pouring into my life. Will I, will we allow them to overflow out of our lives into the lives of people around us. Maybe people who we don't like. Maybe people who we despise. God gave me a second chance. Let me say that again. God gave undeserving me a second chance. Will I give others, undeserving others, a second chance? By the way, Jesus, the one who, around all this grace and mercy center, the epicenter of grace and mercy in the Bible, Jesus, God in the flesh, offered himself for us. Jesus had some pretty strong feelings on this one, okay? He said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 to 15, If you forgive those who sin against you, real sin, they've really wronged you. If you forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. If you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And then remember that, that time that his 
his friends, his, his disciples came to him and they said, Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And we have that famous Lord's Prayer. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I think we'll all remember a part of that prayer recorded in Luke chapter 11, verses 2 and 4. Father, Jesus prayed, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's a mouthful right there. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, Paul wrote a lot about this. Paul knew a lot about second chances, didn't he? Because he had been on the receiving end of one of history's most massive second chances. So he wrote a lot about offering grace and mercy to others. He told the church uh, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Now, let's read this one. If you would read this one with me, let's read this out loud together. This is good stuff. He said, Bear with each other... And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You got your second chance. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And that's the real message, I think, of Jonah for us. Yeah, it's about second chances, sure. But it's not primarily about my second chance or your second chance. The book is really about becoming a second chance person, a second chance people. We have been given a mulligan so that we can be a people who have the ministry of the mulligan, if you will, because of all of this grace and mercy and forgiveness poured out on us, God's kindness, His chesed poured out into our lives, we now overflow with thanksgiving and humility and graciousness and patience. So may His love not only be welcome to overflow from His big heart into our lives, but may it overflow out of our lives as well. Now, we like to think of ourselves, I mean, a lot of us do. It's a very American thing, very Texan thing, if you will. Um, We like to think of ourselves as, you know, self-reliant, you know, self-made man or self-made woman, all that stuff. Um, Nobody's a self-made man. Nobody's a self-made woman. You didn't give yourself life. You didn't give yourself all the opportunities that you've had in life. You didn't give yourself your good health. You didn't give yourself your good looks or not so good looks. You didn't give yourself your talents. You didn't. God is the source, all right? All of our power comes from God, a source greater than anything that we possess. And when we lose sight of that, when we believe that myth, that American myth or that Texan myth or that whatever kind of myth, that we are self-reliant, what happens over time is we gradually grow somewhat self-absorbed, entitled, cynical, and our perspective gets warped. 
heard a poem this week. Matt Coach shared this with the 24-7 class a few weeks ago, and I loved it, wrote this down, and I wanted to share this with you this morning. From 1846, a poet named Julia Abigail Fletcher Kearney wrote a poem called Think Gently of the Erring. Think gently of the erring. Ye know not of the power with which the dark temptation came in some unguarded hour. Ye may not know how earnestly they struggled or how well until the hour of weakness came, and sadly thus they fell. Speak gently. To the erring, thou yet mayst lead them back with holy words and tones of love from misery's thorny track. Forget not thou hast often sinned and sinful yet must be. Deal gently with the erring then as God has dealt with thee. And so as we finish our series this morning, let's consider what Jonah 4, what Jonah chapter 4 has to tell us about who we are because of Christ, about our mulligan ministry. The book closes with Jonah sitting on the side of that hill, a great view of Nineveh down below, clear of the blast zone that he is very much hoping he will need to be clear of as God obliterates those sinners down in Nineveh. And then as it's clear that God is giving them a second chance, as it's clear that God's compassion and mercy is going to win the day, Jonah is angry. He thinks Nineveh should be destroyed because of its wickedness. But God shows mercy. So Jonah got his second chance. He just doesn't want other sinners to get theirs. By the way, interesting bit of information here. You all know, I mean, it's on the news all the time, the stuff going on with, with ISIS and all that stuff. By the way, Nineveh is located really right in the middle of ISIS-controlled territory. You may have seen they're destroying lots of artifacts and ruins and stuff over there. Um, they're ruining the ruins, I guess. Um, ISIS, um, so Nineveh, this is, the real, this is what's really interesting over there. So people are fleeing for their lives. You've got all these refugees fleeing from their lives. Um, we know that in Iraq there are different... Um, Ethnic groups, you know, the Kurds up north and this. Well, there is another, there is one recognized ethnic group in Iraq called the Assyrians. Okay? Certain ethnicity there in Iraq. 90% of the Christians in Iraq are Assyrians. I just think that's interesting because Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Um, So I don't know what relevance that has. I just thought that was kind of interesting. That this area became the, the center of Christianity in that part of the world for some time. Um, long after, of course, long after Jonah was there. But let's finish out by talking about this mulligan ministry this morning. Um, because I've gotten a second chance, I am grateful. That's the first thing there. I am grateful. Indebted. And thankful. I live in the shadow of God's grace given to me in Jesus Christ. I think that's a great thought to open our Thanksgiving week. A people who are grateful, who are indebted, 
and we will express our thanks to the Lord. The one we worship, the one we serve, is full of love for sinners like Jonah, for sinners like the Assyrians, for sinners like us. And we are grateful that that is the God we have benefited from and that we have a relationship with through Christ and that we love and adore. Now, Jonah had a bad attitude, but he had some really great theology. I mean, listen to what Jonah says about God there in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, God, you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Spot-on theology right there. That's exactly how God is. And so we are grateful, indebted, and thankful that the one we serve is full of love. Amen? Now, second thing, because I've got a second chance, I am, I'm not only grateful, but I'm grounded. Remember that warped perspective that we get when we think everything revolves around us, when we're looking at things through our perspective, which we can't help but do sometimes, our fears, our prejudices, our concerns, our desires, they warp us, God grounds us. And because we've been given a second chance, we can be grounded by God, recognizing that my judgments are limited and flawed. I look to God for perspective and direction. God is trying to point this out throughout the entire book to his prophet. Your perspectives are this. Mine are this. At no point is that more clear than at the end of chapter 4 and verse 11. God says, you have been concerned about this plant. Okay? Nice fern, okay? You've been concerned about the vine. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Do you see what's going on here, Jonah? Ground yourself with me over here. Get out of this over here. Come into my heart. Come into my expansive grace. So we're grounded by God, not by our own limited perspectives. Um, The prophet really enjoyed that creature comfort of that vine and the shade it provided. Oh, we like our comforts. We do. And then the Lord sent that worm to eat away on the stem of that vine, and it just withered up. And Jonah got so frustrated, so angry, so mad. His comfortable spot there on the hillside wasn't quite as comfortable anymore. And God drops at that point. This is all a big object lesson. God knows what he's doing here. He drops that hammer of truth on Jonah and says, essentially, you care more about the vine, more about your comfort than you do about the mommies and the daddies and the children and all of the thousands and thousands of people who live in this city. Jonah, why don't you think about that basically exposing the fact that Jonah his judgments 
his perspective, his outlook is very flawed and very small. Um, the Lord cared about Nineveh. Had they done evil? Yeah. Did they live far from the heart of God? Yeah, they did. And God loved them. God loved those sinners. He saw worth, he saw value, he saw potential in those people. And just like the Atchafalaya River, we dry up when we aren't connected to the one who is greater, who is deeper, who is stronger than us. And if our attitudes and our decisions and judgments are shaped only by our own concerns and our own comfort, our own little part of the world, our experiences then we dry up and we empty out and we become, we become smaller and more cynical versions of ourselves. So our walk with God and Christ, that walk, it grounds us into something bigger. And finally, because I've got a second chance, I am, so I'm grateful and I'm grounded, and I'm generous. This is where we want to end up. We're, I'm generous. I'm charitable. In my, I like that word charitable. I'm charitable, which comes from grace, by the way, caris, charity. I'm charitable in my judgments and attitudes toward others who don't have a relationship with the Lord. I think gently of the erring. God loves sinners. Jesus declared his mission to be, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. I haven't come for the healthy. I've come for the sick. That's what I'm about. Remember how God saved you at the cross? Remember how you are a sinner and you got a mulligan, you got a second chance from God because of his compassion and grace? You and I, we are world-class examples of people who have been on the receiving end of God's goodness and grace, of God's generosity. Amen? Amen. And so, we're here now on the other side of that as His children to live that out. And to show that same generosity, that same big-heartedness toward others. Now, what a vast... I love this part of the story. I think this is a great thing to just kind of ponder. Um, what, a, what a difference perspective makes. Think about this for a second. And this is on the outline. Think about this. What a difference perspective makes. What Jonah saw as the reason to destroy Nineveh God saw as the reason to show mercy. Jonah 4, verse 11 from the message, 120,000 childlike people who don't yet know right from wrong. That's how God saw them. Think about that. Jonah and God looked at the same city full of the same broken, sinful people 
And Jonah saw this as the reason the city should be leveled. And God saw this as the reason the city should be loved. What a difference perspective makes. Jonah, those people have no concept of right and wrong. God, those poor people have no concept of right and wrong. We live in an age, I don't think you would disagree with me on this, we live in an age where whatever your bent, whatever your outlook, whatever your likes and dislikes, whatever your prejudices, um, whatever snap judgments and sarcasm you enjoy, whatever intolerances we have, we live in an age more than any other where we have gasoline poured on our lesser selves, on our cynical, sarcastic, judgmental, intolerant side. We have gasoline poured on that part of our nature 24-7 by social media and by 24-hour cable news. You get to pick the news channel that agrees with you, that will pour cement on your attitudes and judgments, pour gasoline on your anger, you get to watch that. We used to, get, we used to watch news, I'll opine a little bit, the Harry Cronkite days or whatever. We used to watch news to be informed. Now we watch news to be enraged. <laughs> oh, and it is so easy. It is so easy to live in a way that we forget who we are. A people saved by grace. A people who, because of the overflow of God's love, we've been given a chance to start over, to do things differently. And it is, if you will, it is very easy to become a, those people have no concept of right and wrong people, instead of a, boy, they need compassion and grace because they just don't know right and wrong kind of people. One of my favorite things about the book of Jonah, and this may be my favorite thing about the book of Jonah, is the way it ends. I mean, it just ends with God saying, shouldn't I be concerned about this city? It doesn't tell us what happened to Jonah. Aren't you dying to know? I mean, did God judge Jonah? Did Jonah, did Jonah repent and say, wow, what a turkey I've been. Thank you for my second chance. I'm going to be different from here on out. Now I see her. I, I don't know. We don't know. The final chapter is not really there for us in Jonah's story. And what I love about that is the final chapter has not been written for you or me either. If you're here this morning, our stories are still open-ended. Still TBD. To be determined. Um, if you've been a hard-hearted cynic up to this very moment... In time, you can decide now that things are going to be different. You can allow the generosity of Christ to shape you and inform you and pour out through you. Really? Really? I mean, is that possible? Is that kind of sudden change actually possible? Yes, it really is. It really is. It is 
when the source of that change is a capital S source who is greater than you. Yeah, if you're trying to manufacture within yourself some new attitudes, good luck with that. But if you're allowing God to pour in and pour out over, yeah, you can change. You can change. Now, it could be that up to this very moment in your life, you've been living one way, and now you need to turn toward God, turn the trajectory of your life in a different direction, and say yes to Jesus Christ. Every Christian who's in here at some point in their life had that moment where they said yes to Jesus, where they quit running away from God and started running into the arms of the Lord. And it may be that up to this point, your doubts and your cynicism and your judgments have kept you away from the Lord. It may be because of religion. It may be because of church. It may be because of stuff you've seen on the internet or stuff that the... Anyway, I'm not going to name names. Maybe stuff that you've read that you... No, I just... I'm, that's not for me. Well, today you can say yes to Jesus. And you can acknowledge that you're a sinner just like all the rest of us. And that you need God's grace. Because on the inside, you just feel empty. And you just feel like you are drying out. And you need to turn to God to fill you up. As disciples, we recognize that we are 100% reliant on the Lord only because of the overflow of His love and compassion are we saved and do we have the resources to be a generous people. So if you need to be baptized into Jesus this morning, just be immersed in His name, covered in His grace and mercy to begin living a new life. Or as Paul would say, become a new creation. You can do that this morning. Or maybe you just need prayers. And what we do at Preston Crest is we just say, hey, if you want to pray, uh, we're going to sing a song. Pray with your spouse or your, your son or daughter or your neighbor there on the pew, your small group or your Bible class. Um, and just pray and come before God. Pray with me or one of our elders this morning. But just, we know that God listens and he wants to hear our hearts. So we gather and we pray. So however you need to respond, do that as we stand together and we respond.